Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdat Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I am Greta Johnson. I'm Trisha Bobita and we are joined by Peter Segel. Who is here to represent the patriarchy. Or so (laughs) I am told somebody said at a party this weekend. It was oh, reported good. back to me. I'm I, so glad to hear I, I, that. The, the, the comment was, yes, this, this Game of Thrones podcast is fine, but I can't stand that Peter Sagal is there representing the patriarchy. So <laughs> from now on, everything I say will be, and the patriarchy believes. Oh, good. I was Aww. thinking, you know, if you want, I could speak for the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> She's the patri- pretty good at it, actually. The patriarchy <laughs> is giving you the little side eye here because the patriarchy <laughs> is a little worried about your... <laughs> loyalty to it. But move on, please. Today we are rehashing Season 5, Episode 5 of Game of Thrones. This is your spoiler alert. We're halfway through the season with an episode called Kill the Boy. I have to say right off the bat, disappointed about the meaning of that title. Yes. But we were all wondering what soon. boy was going to get it. I know. Yeah. And in this show, a boy could get it. Yes, like they would actually kill a child on Game of Thrones. Boys, <laughs> girls, horses, anybody. <laughs> Later in the show, we're also going to share some of your voicemails and try to answer some of the questions you've asked us in emails and Tumblr and such. So stay tuned for that as well. If you're hoping for some Nerdette proper, you're in luck. We are back from our break between seasons with new episodes available for your ears. In our most recent episode, we talked with Kate Mulgrew. She plays the Red Woman of a different sort of realm. All I wanted was to eat the chicken that is smarter than other chickens and to absorb its power. And make a nice Kiev. But oh well. That does sound like something Melisander would do, don't you think? That's Kate Mulgrew as Red and the Netflix show Orange is the New Black. You may also know her as Captain Janeway from Star Trek Voyager. Either way, Red Alert! on Nerdette this week. She was a delight to talk to. Make sure you check it out if you haven't heard it yet. And make sure you never miss a Nerdette of any kind. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher, SoundCloud. Search for Nerdette wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Also, we've got a disclaimer here that maybe probably doesn't need to be said, but we'll say it anyway. Game of Thrones is pretty, as I like to call it, HBO rated in terms of language and nudity and violence and all of that really fun, good stuff. (laughs) When we talk about the show, we talk about some of that fun, good stuff. If that makes you uncomfortable, maybe you shouldn't be listening to this. Nerdette is supported by Basecamp. Basecamp is the project management app for people who want total control over their projects. Your bannermen may be in separate castles, but with communication happening right inside Basecamp, you don't have to wait for a raven to make progress on your projects. Winter is coming, and listeners to Nerdette can defend the realm against wasting time with Basecamp free for 60 days at Basecamp.com slash Nerdette. So jumping right in, I will say that we are now firmly in the world of the TV show, veering farther and farther from the books. And I will say, again, that it's making for better television. It certainly is. Because we're spending more time in individual locations, getting more time with each character so that it's not quick 20 seconds of people riding through the forest. And now another place, another place, another place. I was actually going to say that this episode, among many other virtues, uh, shows the benefit of time. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was no scenes in King's Landing. Right. There were uh, no scenes in Dorne. We've left uh, Jamie and Bronn there. 
And what that meant was you only had three major plot lines to follow. Because of the consolidation of characters, there were fewer people involved. And that means you had these great scenes which were allowed to breathe. For example, the incredibly awkward dinner party. The world's worst Ooh, the dinner worst party. The worst dinner party God. ever worked so well because not only did, that, did they have enough scenes building up to it, but they also were allowed to play that out. The only thing wrong with it was when Ramsey totally went meta and said, well, this is rather tense. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was, and that's only because they're giving themselves some finally some roof to breathe without, as you say, all right, it's been three minutes, we got to get up to the wall, four minutes, we got to get back down to Dorne, which was nice. I'm sorry. Sorry about what? For killing your brothers. There. Over and done with. Doesn't everyone feel better? I do. That was getting very tense. <laughs> You know what, my lady? What with him having murdered your brothers and the rest of your family gone, Rekin is the nearest thing to living kin that you have left. Reek! You will give away the bride. Someone has to. What better person? Good? Good? Yes, yes, very good. Worst family dinner ever. I think also to see how it plays out afterwards with then Ramsey talking to Roos, like the entire thing, you got to see the trajectory. And that was also true of the scenes up up at the wall. There was more space. There was more time. It was even true of the scenes with Daenerys. And everything is allowed to progress. It's like, whoa, this is how drama works. This is really nice. I feel we should address, though, the very first pieces of information that we got in this episode, which is who lived and who died. So let's start in Marine then. Right. With Grey Worm... Healing. First shot in the hospital. I Greta. know. I thought that was so funny. You got your I, sick I got my bed little, scene. little sick bed scene. But <laughs> Barristan was dead, and I was half right. I predicted both would live. Did either of you predict that both were dead? I think I did. Yeah. So we'll split Killed this. And you know, I knew I was wrong prior to seeing the episode because uh, people may not know this, but for the first four episodes, we had screeners. We were able to record the shows in advance. So the last episode's podcast came out. I listened to it, and I heard myself say. Grey Worm's going to live because we have that wonderful relationship with Miss Day that they want to play out. And sure enough, that's the first thing that's you see. That's exactly what happened. But then I help. heard myself say, well, Barristan is going to live because he's a great guy. <laughs> and, and I knew hearing myself say that. And you said, Peter, you fool. I know. When has that ever saved anybody in this show? And in fact, yes, they love killing off great guys, as we all know. And also, I forget which one of you ladies, because I confuse you, because you all look alike to me. Good. Thank <laughs> you. Made the very good point that by getting rid of Barristan, they would make the need that Daenerys has for a really smart advisor that much more uh, profound. And you were right, whoever said that. It may have been me. I'll take credit for that. Take credit, credit, Trisha. I I am so gracious in spirit as a woman that I will let Trisha have the credit for that. That's really (laughs) nice. Barristan, though, we say a fond farewell to Barristan. I liked him a lot. Good guy, great actor, don't know his name. Yeah, but when you get a sunset scene where you talk about nice oh, things, absolutely. you're dead. It was over. And, the, and I am ashamed that I did not see that. Because <laughs> that conversation, that lovely little moment was like a huge black vulture landing on his shoulder. <laughs> so, yes. Well, apologies for screwing that up. But moving right along. To Daenerys taking yes. revenge. Oh, that was pretty awesome. For the loss of her dear friend and advisor. Yes. My, by, my, oh my gosh, the dragon. That was great. Ooh. It was pretty great. I am going to say something here. There are many other places in the episode where I could point it out, but this we always talk about the costume design and the set design. The sound design in this mm. episode was awesome. <laughs> we do not give enough credit to that. The moment I noticed it 
when they're standing there in the dungeon, you haven't seen the dragons yet, but you can hear the chains yes. clanking. There were great sound moments in this. When later on in the show, when Sansa is walking down the line in the kennel and the dogs are barking really, really loudly. There's just great oh, yeah. bits like that because they do a lot with sound. And you often, and I say this in apology to the sound designers in my life, you don't notice it. But that was pretty awesome. <laughs> you notice it when it's terrible. That's yes. True. Yes, that is true. And uh, let's talk about Daenerys because it, Daenerys's thing or her, I don't know, segment of the episode ends with her making a choice that I think was problematic for a lot of readers of the books. This one is in the books where she chooses to marry and I will not even pretend to remember that guy's name. The guy who is the former master who is a part of her council. Yes. And that was annoying when you come across it in the mm-hmm. book A Dance of Dragons because why is she doing this? Part of it is a general impatience, like, why is she sticking around in Marine when she needs to get back to Westeros and kick butt immediately? I came here to tell you that I was wrong. I was wrong, and you were right. About tradition. About bringing the people of this city together. I will reopen the fighting pits. To free men only. Slavery will never return to Marine. Not while I live. Yes, my queen. And in order to forge a lasting bond with the Marinese people, I will marry the leader of an ancient family. Thankfully, a suitor is already on his knees. She just seems to be tying herself to that city when that's not where any of us want her to be, including, we thought, herself. But doesn't he have a bunch of boats? Am I making that up? I don't know. I feel like in the books, a big part of the the marriage arrangement was you need my resources for you to be able to move on and do As I remember it, basically she's trying to, as she is in the TV show, solve her problem, which is that the people of Marine are rising up in the streets and she has no control and she needs to somehow establish herself as the ruler of Marine. How she, is in her own mind, is connecting that with raising her army and f- sailing over the sea. And yeah, we seem to have lost sight of that eventual goal yeah. in this storyline. And did you guys buy her transition from rage to bloody vengeance to reconciliation? No. You did I didn't see it as reconciliation. I thought of it as just a new way of having power. Because this guy still understands that he is either going to marry her or get crispified by the dragon. It's right. not like she's like reconciliation. This is the way to do it. She's yeah. realized that she has to seem as though she's playing along with the traditions and yeah. seem as though she's doing these. Things. Speaking of being crispified for the dragon, I do want to pay homage as we did last <laughs> week to the ship's captain, to the poor guy who's who got <laughs> who was who was made into the extra crispy lunch special cuz again, it's like Great news! I got you a part in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Terrific! <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> I also thought it was nice that the dragons share. Yeah. They yeah, rip them in two cute. and yeah. then they eat yeah. you they know, side by side. They actually eat got almost the same amount, which yeah. was nice. <laughs> Danny <laughs> taught them that sharing is caring. If they were my siblings, they would have complained to her. Like, she got a bigger piece. Yeah, totally. My, I'm not my siblings, my children. Sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Best line of the show. You don't want to overfeed them. That was awesome. (laughs) Okay, so we had very different opinions about that line of dialogue. You, Peter, enjoyed it very much. I thought it was annoying. Thought it was a little too much. Yeah, there were. Of course, she wants to overfeed them. Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) They're fine. If we continue on to what's going on with our pal Tyrion, you want to move on to the last segment of the show, which is Tyrion and Najora. I think so. All right, let's do it with the geography this week. We're in Essos. 
We're in Essos. And I did notice in the credit sequence they had to go across the narrow sea twice, which seemed an inefficient use of a fake moving camera. <laughs> I right? Can't. I, I mean, can't do that. You have to fly over there and you have to look at, you know, the Bravos. <laughs> and then you have to fly back. And, and did we really need Bravos? Because we get no Bravos. Does the either. fake flying camera episode. does the fake flying camera get a frequent fake flyer miles? Yeah. All yeah. right. Sorry, yeah. moving on. Thanks. <laughs> I have to say this was my favorite scene of the episode, I think. With it might your... even be my favorite yet. I don't know if it's if suspense is the right word, but that build up right at the very end when he's looking down at oh, his yeah. wrist yeah. and the music swells and then it just cuts to black. The whole thing in there, I just I loved it. They also did something I have been waiting for ever since I was an obsessive watcher of The Sopranos because in The Sopranos there might have been earlier shows that had this effect, but in The Sopranos you watched the show in increasing tension, waiting for it to be over because something terrible you knew was going to happen, and as soon as the black came, the blackout at the end of the Sopranos, you knew that it was the threat was over for the week. And that has been, it seems to me, to be an, a lot of shows are written that way, that with tension, 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 blackout, Breaking Bad, many others. This is the first time I've ever seen a producer use that to fool you, because it blacks out with Tyrion going into the water yeah, for yeah. a long time. And it, you're like, yeah. what am I gonna, what's the next thing I'm going to see? Is it the credits? No, I've never seen anybody else sort of try that little trickery, and I kind of admired it. Although, I did you guys think for a second that Tyrion was was doomed? No, no, no absolutely no. not. Among other no. things, we've seen stills, pre-production stills of him, you know, off in some other place he hasn't reached yet. So, no, I'm pretty sure Jorah is doomed, though. Yeah, I mean, I think he was anyway. But yeah, I liked someone's tweet I saw last night that was like, "Eat that." Walking Dead, we have so many kinds of zombies on our show. Hashtag Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Because now we get to see a fight with a new kind of zombie, Zo- sort basically. Of, they're still of? alive. They're, they're sort of transformed by their disease in some way. Somebody else pointed this out. I think it was some other recap I checked this morning. But it is wonderful to see how much the budgets have increased mm. because they have so much more money for really cool computer-generated scenes and scene matching. So you get that amazing sequence in the ruins of old Valyria with those uh, stuntmen dressed up as uh, stone guys. And it was awesome. And they couldn't probably have done that in the first season of the show but before it became the most popular TV show in the world. And Ever. HBO says, how much money do you need? Do you need this? <laughs> Take the money. And isn't the most expensive thing ever on any set always when there's a boat? Isn't that just the most expensive because it takes so much time and energy to get it set up and the light moves so quickly? And or uh, who knows? It's, you know, but it tends to be the most expensive real IRL thing to do on a set <laughs> is to be in actual water in an actual boat. And I have read actually the computer-generated images are actually much more expensive even now. because Even you, still? Wow. Even still. But who knows? But anyway, it, it, the show just... I know. I should probably have something bitter and mean because I'm totally out of character here by praising their technical accomplishments and their acting. <laughs> no, this is good. I think every once in a while we All should right. throw them above. Moving on. But yeah, that, that, yeah, poor Jorah. And it was nice to see the sort of the old nice Jorah come back. Mm. The Tyrion kind of teased it out of him. Mm-hmm. That was kind of lovely when he finished reciting that poem. That I do nice. like the Mormont way also. Oh, that's the Mormont way. <laughs> Sullen silence, silences broken up by occasional punches in the face. Did you guys feel this episode there were a lot of moments where, I know this is a weird thing to say about a made-up place, but a lot of anachronistic statements, you know, like uh, like his line, like punches in the face. Hmm. Did they say punching in the face? When Ramsey says to his very naked girlfriend, that's my priority right now. Priority? <laughs> you know, I mean, there just seems to be, maybe it's also because, and I should confess this, I have been reading, rereading the books because I, there's not enough oh, really, obsession in my life Peter. of Game of Thrones. Oh, and one of the things I had forgotten is how incredibly humorously antique 
Mm. The language is in the books. Like they don't dislike people. They mislike people. Ooh. They don't see things. They espy them. Really? Which is just the most horseshit sort of stuff. <laughs> and to hear, you know, in contrast, the TV characters speaking as if they were just for an instant on Mad Men is kind of funny. <laughs> I think the Jon Snow scenes up at the north, if we go with Jon Snow all the way up to the wall, I think there was a lot of that too with the Night's Watch guys. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of like bro culture stuff that oh, yeah. the language is a little <laughs> is a little uh, too new maybe for the books, yes. but it fits in with the show and it's yeah. fine. It's okay. So I don't want to be too book spoilery about everything that happens yeah. up at the wall, but like every time I see Meister Eamon, I'm just like, how is that guy still alive? <laughs> Every time. What do you mean? Because he's so old? Yeah. Well, yeah. And doesn't he die? Shouldn't he have died a I long don't, time ago? I, I honestly don't think so. Really? I don't think so. I just can't believe that guy no, is he's, still alive. I, I, I think there's there's some assumption that Targaryens are, are kind of long lived. But at any rate, but it is weird that he is that old. Yeah. I, I just, I, every time. I'm he just says like, he's really? almost 100 yeah. and freezing to death. He was, I he was pleasantly bitter. He says, do it. They hate you anyway. <laughs> I love that. He's become a bitter old Targaryen, which I kind of like. <laughs> so do you think he'll live long enough then to meet Danny? I don't know. Because that was like they set up this and kind of And who sent him the note, by the way? That is a good that, question. Well, you see? Mm. Yeah. And more nice Stannis. Okay. I am what are we doing here? on no. Team Stannis he's now, now he's, was he was before. He was nice to his daughter. Now he was nice to Sam Tarly. Pretty soon he'll be like throwing coins to the homeless. He's awesome now. I he's mean, pretty I, great now. That's Greta. funny. I didn't think of him as being nice to Samwell as much as I thought of him as... Trying to use Sam to get as much information as well, he's he needs. Like I think he's Sam. like he's skirting around John to get to Sam. In well, this well, way. Man, well think about that scene. Think me. about that scene because we remember from the the first season that Sam Tarley was completely rejected by his father, mm-hmm. who basically said, "Join the Night's Watch or I'll kill you." He was utterly rejected by the other brothers because he's a craven, as they like to say. So here comes the king of the north, or the king, or a guy who calls himself a king, and he says, I knew your father. Your father was an amazing warrior. You don't look like a warrior. And Sam's like, yes, I know. And then Stannis says, what are you doing? You're doing this. That is a good thing to do. Keep doing that thing, Sam Walterly. Who else has said that to him in the entire series other than uh, Jon Snow? So there we are. Obviously, we are being set up, Stannis-wise. Right. <laughs> we are we like, oh, he's nice to his yeah, daughter man. and he's yeah. nice to Sam. He is about to do something just totally hateful. So speaking of which, how do you think Roose Bolton knows that Stannis plans to march on Winterfell? I mean, is that just like an obvious? Well, I mean, it, uh, uh, he had the map and I love the little sort of flayed men, little symbols representing <laughs> yeah, Roos, uh, Bolton soldiers. Well, it's all very obvious. Stannis is at the wall. They know that. He's got to get. He He's wants King's Landing, south. and yeah. Winterfell is on the way, just like just like Roose says. And my crush, by the way, and the actor playing Roose Bolton, is growing every single day. Every, I mean, even when I'm not watching the show, <laughs> even not on Sundays, even like or not Mondays. on Sundays, like today, we're recording this Monday morning. My crush on Michael McLaughlin <laughs> is greater than it was last night. He's so awesome. And, and it will be still greater along. tomorrow. It'll be still greater tomorrow. My love for him grows. I actually went on IMDb and I said I shall find things. That he is in, so I can watch them while waiting for the next episode. And he's he's just done a lot of British TV, and he was in the Glenn Close uh, cross-dressing movie Albert Nobbs. Of course he was. Of course he was. So I need to go see that. But I'm I'm guessing he won't be evil, and therefore I won't like him. How did he manage to, in that one monologue, describe murdering a man 
and then raping that oh man's wife God. while his body hung overhead. It was pretty good. And then make you still feel like the point of that story was to make his son feel good. Yeah. It was the weirdest bit it of acting that That's, you're right. That was is, incredible. That is grandmaster level villainy. And when I was looking around for stuff about him on the internet, I came across an interview he had done, I think with Vulture online, about this very episode. And he said that while they were shooting that amazing dinner party scene, mm. they were constantly getting the giggles. <laughs> the <laughs> actors. So because happy. everything was so freaking awkward and evil Ooh. that all the actors, of course, know how awkward and equal they're... And, and they just start laughing at all the evil things they're oh required to do. I hope that there is a... End of season outtake reel in which we get to see the Boltons and, and Fat Walda and Sansa cracking up. I do really want to see that. I wrote down in my notes that the most terrifying thing perhaps ever would be to attend the Bolton School of Management. Can you imagine? <laughs> Effective. Effective, yeah, man. though. You yeah, know, like, you know, rule the North the Bolton way. Oof. Oof. So intense. It's crazy. It's yeah. Well, I've, I've often thought that I remember making this joke on Twitter when I was first reading the first book that you could look at Game of Thrones as sort of a, a parenting manual. <laughs> could you? You know, no, you, I mean, this was before you? I got to the second and third books, but it'd be like, you know, Rob, not Joffrey parenting the Game of Thrones way. <laughs> Because seriously, so much, how many father-child, especially father-son, but also father-daughter, mother-daughter relationships are absolutely central to this. And and the way the kids go different ways, very much dependent on who their fathers are. I mean, it'd be one thing if Ramsey Bolton was a monster and his father wasn't. Right. That's the whole thing about that monologue is that it does get you to think, oh, this is not entirely Ramsey's own doing. Like he was, he started. He came by by his homicidal madness, honestly. Very honestly. (laughs) I do love, though, that Sansa, although she is realizing now that this is an even worse situation probably than she was expecting for her, is also kind of looking at Ramsay like, I've dealt with Joffrey. You ain't got nothing on crazy, you know, betrothed people because... Sociopaths. I'm also, in terms of anticipation, what's coming next, getting a little impatient with Sansa to do something. We talked prior about how Sansa seems to be coming into her own, how... Littlefinger gave her that great speech. It's like, you got to take, you got to fight back. And here she is floating around and she hasn't done anything yet. The only thing she's done is when Fat Walda, and I'm sorry, that's what she's called in the books, <laughs> Fat Walda, is, don't write is. in. It's perfect. When she says, I'm pregnant, and Sansa has that little smile and says, oh, I'm so happy, happy for you. you. That's it. That's like the only even mildly active thing she's done. Well, is to, she does start the conversation, though, when Walda says... It must be so strange for you to be here. And she says, this is my home. The people, people are strange. strange. Well, I know, yes. but it's still, it's still kind of reactive. I'm still, I mean, yeah. I, I want her to, to play a card soon and I want it to be a good one. I think she took in some valuable information this time around. But if nothing happens with her in the next episode, I'm going to complain about it a lot. All right. So get ready for that. We, we will be drafting our angry letter here. <laughs> so when it came to that scene at the kennels, did either of you think, oh, we're going to see a dire wolf? Like, I was hoping for somebody's dire wolf. We need to stop and talk about, uh, what's her name, Melinda? Yeah, Melissa, Miranda. Miranda, 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 Miranda Melisandre, whatever. <laughs> Miranda, because A, sympathy for that poor actress who oh. got one big dramatic scene. We've never seen her before, right? And she had to do it entirely naked, mm-hmm. which is not easy. It's one, th- I mean, exposition while naked is ridiculous. Dramatic acting while naked is challenging. <laughs> and, you know, to, credits, credit to the actor, the Welsh actor who plays uh, Ramsay as well, because he was just as naked, even so, though, as per usual... Greta's mother is disappointed because there is no D. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. It's like you've got this very difficult scene. You're establishing your characters, the relationship between your characters, and you're both Starkers. Go. 
Oh, I'm sorry. We, we, I'm sorry. There was a noise <laughs> offset. Could we please run that again? This is naked, naked dramatic scene. Take 14. Yeah, oh especially that expression on her face right towards yeah. the end. Oh, yeah. She's like, I got him. Yes. Using my wiles. And that scene again, more and more time. I love this. She's picking at Sansa's clothes. You know, oh, where did you get this? That was really wonderful and creepy. And they took their time. It was awesome. Although I had a question about her clothing. She was wearing this weird S&M style tight leather dress, which I thought was <laughs> a lot for the daughter of the Master of Hounds. But, you know, maybe she saved up. He could have bought it for her. I That's wouldn't have been true. surprised if That's he had true. bought that for her, don't That's you think? That's true. Yeah, possibly so true. So just to make sure that we get it in, rack and butt count, one of each. One of each, yeah. From the scene much. we're talking about. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. But that and was one okay. bloody lip. Yes. <laughs> And some grayscale. Yeah. And some grayscale. A little bit, yeah. And some navels because, you you know, always with Daenerys's uh, and Miss Sunday's mm, outfits. It's just like, true. you know, you can't see their navels. Did we discuss the wall enough and what is happening? Do we need to go back to the wall? We I might don't know. I just wanted to make sure that Here, everybody me, felt good about what happened Let me do the fake camera. Going back oh, to good, the wall. Good. That, okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I, f- I mean, this is interesting because obviously we've talked before in the show about, you know, why do people follow other people? What's the nature of command? What do you have to do? This is something George R. R. Martin is fascinated with. And as he says, you know, and as we see in the in the meeting room scene, he's doing this thing that we know because we've seen what he's seen that is absolutely necessary, but nobody else sees. And we had talked before, I think, about his relationship with Ollie. Is yeah. That, yeah. I thought Ollie was going to become more and more important. And he got a lot of uh, dialogue in this. So the question is, why is, why is John interested in Ollie? And I think that it's all sympathy that he says, you know, I know what it's like to lose everybody. That's why he took him under his wing. And you thought that. that I think he, that he knows that Ollie's the only one who knows just how much he broke his vows right. and just how much he loved a wildling. I think that John is being sentimental and will pay for it. And I don't care. So I feel like we've got the whole <laughs> spectrum on feelings about all. That's where you took out your phone and played what? Yeah, played that's bejeweled. What... I mean, during those. I scenes? mean, Tetris is fun. That's true. I feel pretty good about Tetris. <laughs> I remembered why we needed to go back to the wall, why? and it is to discuss the title of the episode, which is "Kill, Kill the, boy. the Boy." No actual boys were killed in this episode, <laughs> which made me a little sad because you know, yes, we're "Kill the Boy, Be the Man," says Eamon. And so John and Redbeard, who probably has a character name that's not Redbeard, but, you know, the wildling with the big red beard, decide that if they want to go get the rest of the free folk to fight, that what they're going to have to do is go get them. And the only way they'll be convinced that getting onto these ships, which are, by the way, borrowed from Stannis, if they're going to get on these ships and not think that they're going to just be, you know, burned to a crisp right. at sea as soon Which as they step happen. on them, John's <laughs> got to be in. <laughs> would be a pretty cool move. Right. But John has to be then on the yeah. ship as well. So John is now leaving the wall with Redbeard to go get the rest of the free folk. Yeah. Stannis has left with his army. And so basically, what, Sam's in charge? I don't know. But not very many people are left at the wall yeah. at the end of this episode. There's not a lot of well, – well, actually, that's sort of the problem is there's not a lot of uh, brothers to uh, to fight the incoming horde of dead people. Just parenthetically, I think that it would be a lot easier to understand the Night's Watch hostility toward the Wildings if the Wildings weren't clearly – Actors who had gone to the same drama schools in England <laughs> with the guys playing the blood. I mean, they all have the same accent. Yeah, that accent. It's like, yes, we, we all, yes, we all studied together at RADA. We know we're on the same side. I think that perhaps <laughs> they might have tried a little harder to make the wildings a little more exotic. 
Just saying. That's, more alien. That's fair. One thing I did think was really interesting about the Night's Watch in general that I don't think we talked about last time around with the selection of John yeah. as the new leader is that this is really the closest group of people that we're seeing to an actual democracy. Strange but true. Which I do find really strange but true, especially given the fact that these are all criminals. and Crawl criminals, rapers. I'm going to go with George R. R. Martin because why does he call them rapers? I don't know. <laughs> they call them rapists of the show, but rapers, all those guys. It's interesting because it is, of course, a democracy. They get to select their own leader from among the ranks. But if you leave, they'll cut your head off. Yeah, so it's a limited democracy. That's, yeah, that's fair. But even, you know, seeing them all sort of discussing what they should do next yeah. and letting everyone have equal voice, yes. at least in the discussion of it. Yes. I just thought was really like you just don't see that anywhere else in the Seven Kingdoms. I that's thought it true. was noteworthy. OK. Noteworthy. Yes. Thanks, guys. And coming up in just a minute. I'm we're sorry. Was to... I yawning? That was, <laughs> was playing Tetris. Coming up. <laughs> it's fun, huh? I thought <laughs> come for the nudity. Come for the demonstrations of civics whatever it's all game of thrones exactly go on <laughs> still to come in just a minute we're going to go through some of your voicemails emails tweets and react to the qualms that you've had with us or the questions you've had for us so stick around The good nerds at Audible are supporting this podcast, and so for fans of Game of Thrones, we're recommending you go forth to Audible and get a free copy of Dealing with Dragons. This is a young adult novel by Patricia C. Reed, and it is delightful. I think you're going to love it, even if you are not like a 12-year-old girl. It's really, really good. It's about a princess who runs away from home, and princes keep trying to save her from dragons, but she will have none of it. It's pretty delightful. What's the name of it? Dealing with Dragons. It's fun. And if you've already read that, never fear. Audible is giving listeners to Nerdette any audiobook they want for free. It's a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial of membership to Audible from their 180,000 audio programs. Download Dealing with Dragons. Dealing with Dragons. Download Dealing with Dragons and start listening right now. It's that easy. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash nerdette. That's audiblepodcast.com slash nerdette. You're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I'm Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita and Peter Segel. We love hearing from our listeners, and you guys have had a lot to say lately. Voice call received 557 a.m. Thursday, May 7th. My name is Christina, and I love listening to your show each week. The one thing that I want to suggest for an upcoming show is the analysis of the names of the characters on Game of Thrones. For example, Podrick can't just be Patrick. I have so much trouble remembering the names of all these characters because they're always just a little bit off. Perhaps that's why Jon Snow is so easily remembered and recalled because his name is so easy to remember. But there's so many characters that you just can't really grab their names. It doesn't come out of your mouth so easily. I'd love to hear your analysis of the names of the characters on Game of Thrones. Thanks. That is a really interesting question. And the short answer is, I don't know, although I've thought about it a lot. (laughs) Of course you have. Because (laughs) I have nothing else to do with my life. There are a weird agglomeration of names in this show, which all of which come from the books, with the possible exception of Rob's late wife, who was invented for the TV show. Mm. And the names are a weird combination of common, even American names like Robert and strange made-up names Eddard. like Sansa, mm-hmm. Eddard, who is called Ned. 
it's all very strange. There's a Roger in there somewhere. There's all kinds of names. And then there are weird variations on standard names, like Jamie, spelled J-A-I-M-E. And the answer is, I have no idea why he does these things. I have made this comparison before. George R. R. Martin is just one of those crazy people. <laughs> Seriously, he's like a crazy guy with talent. And he Mm -hmm. just sits around and makes all this stuff up. Again, I referenced earlier, I was reading the first book over, and as strange and silly as some of the languages, including the agglomeration of names, everything is already there. He mentions in passing characters that you don't know yet, but you know he knows who they are. And in book two, like Lord Stannis never appears, but he knows when he talks about Stannis, he's got it all figured out who Stannis is. He has these relationships between characters that he already knows about. So all I can tell you is that when he was sitting around with his little painted figurines populating the thousands of characters in Game of Thrones, (laughs) he came up with names. Maybe he made up those syllables and connected them together. He's like, I don't know if you've ever had a child who made up names for their their mm. toys or their pl- or their stories they're telling they're always strange combinations of real names and fake names that seem themselves like they were made up from real names and i honestly think it's no more than that george r r martin says himself that he doesn't build worlds he doesn't have like the language skills of a tolkien all of whom names had some sort of weird feel- philological root because that was tolkien's expertise i wish it was that it was about the real people in his life who he was just doing the really sloppy work of changing their names slightly He lived in Uptown in Chicago, the neighborhood where Greta and I live when he was writing the first book. And he had a bunch of roommates and a bunch of cats. And I wish there was one that was just like a good guy who was kind of put upon named Stan. And like that became Stanis. But you never know. know. Every now and then he'll put in like a a reference to a real person. Like there's I believe there is a reference to Bill Belichick in one of the books. (laughs) Because he's a huge, no, it's true. He is a huge football fan and he hates the Patriots because I think he's a Giants fan. (laughs) And so uh, you can write in and correct me, but I I will try to find this and we'll post it. But I believe just for the heck of it in some parenthetical historical reference. Oh, in that battle, sir, this. Oh, yes. It's Sir Belichick or a variation of Belichick (laughs) who was killed by a giant. Wow. In, oh some, in some reference to a battle. That is true. We'll I throw almost, that in. Fantasy football. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I almost wonder, too, if this is one of those points where, having read the books, it is easier to keep track of the names. Yeah. I mean, obviously, in the books, which are all told in the third person, even when they're from somebody's point of view, the names are constantly being repeated. Podrick thought, Podrick did, Podrick went. And obviously, on TV, you only hear the names where somebody says it. So, yes, it's I mean, for example, when I was watching The Wire, I couldn't keep track of anybody. I had to read recaps to figure out who had just done what. Yeah, it's yeah. tricky. It it's is. Totally it's hard tricky. stuff. There's a lot of people it's with funny. funny names. I had never thought of Podrick as a variation of Patrick, but I suppose it yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. Here's a message from our Tumblr from Del Nakamura, who has a twofold question. I think we're just going to tackle the second part here because this isn't something we've really talked much about. And it's. How does Cersei not know that Littlefinger is with Sansa and helped her escape from King's Landing? If so, shouldn't she be upset with him? If she doesn't know, isn't it a strange coincidence that Littlefinger suddenly left King's Landing at the same time Sansa did? Well, that's a good point. In other words, uh, why doesn't... I mean, Sansa disappeared right after the what they call the Purple Wedding, that is when uh, Joffrey uh, choked to death. When I say they, I mean fans. George R. R. Martin doesn't call it that. And... Sansa disappeared. Tyrion disappeared. I believe the assumption that somebody voices, if not in the TV show, in the book, is that they were in it together and they vanished together. But then why isn't she 
suspicious of the fact that Littlefinger's also been gone for that exact same amount of time. That is an interesting question. Remember, Littlefinger left because he said, I have to go back to King's Landing because I can't make her suspicious through my absence. So maybe that is the reference to that. And who the hell knows what Cersei is thinking? She's not the (laughs) clearest thinker. I also, like, even if Cersei were upset about it, I could also see an argument for the sake that she can't, like, she has to have Littlefinger on her side, you know? She can't possibly actually be angry at him because she needs him so much. There's also the sense that people don't understand how ambitious Baelish is and that he himself is a power to be reckoned with, which is sort of how Baelish likes it. And so it's possible that she, with her obsessions, concerns and worries, just forgot to think about this guy. Remember that one of the interesting things about Baelish is unlike everybody else is he doesn't come from a noble house. And the only other contenders for the throne are are high nobility. He's a little lordling from a far-off place in the Vale. And he's not going to be that for long. In fact, already technically he is the lord of the Vale. Uh, He's moving on up because chaos is a ladder. Yes, it is. (laughs) And the moon door is an an opportunity. So it's possible, I mean, just guessing, that Cersei just doesn't think of him as a threat. He's also very useful. He raises a lot of money for the throne. Yeah, yeah, I think it's more to her advantage to not overthink that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a double, triple agent so much of the time that I think everyone assumes that Baelish is always on their side because he's always double-crossing somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. He plays on that notion a lot, I think. Here's one from Abby who sent us a message on Tumblr as well and wants us, please, oh, please, to address the apparent romantic feelings between Jamie Lannister and Brienne because when they sail by Tarth, he gets heart eyes. Basically. Oh, yes. I did notice those he eyes. He does. It was very nice. Very intentional heart eyes in I that don't know, scene. though. I didn't really think of it as heart eyes as just like human, humanity eyes. Human eyes. You know, like, oh, Jamie is not an asshole all the time. As we have talked about in regards to a lot of other characters on this show, Jamie is really, I'll be HBO about it, fucked up for no reasons yeah. of his own. He's only had, as he confesses at one point, intimate relations, and I mean that in many senses of the word, with one person, his own sister. And when you meet him, he has no other alliances. He has no friends. In fact, he, as he reflects upon in the second book and in the second and third seasons of the TV show, sort of lives in this strange isolation, which he understands is part of being the Kingslayer. And he reflects on the fact that no one will ever understand or appreciate why he felt he had to do that, and he's suffering the consequences. So he has nobody in the world. Everybody either fears him or hates him except for his sister. So finally he meets this woman. And whatever his feelings about her as a woman may be, and with Brienne, you know, that's complicated because of the way she carries herself, it's literally his only friend to this point. Yeah. The only person who has ever who he's ever had any kind of intimacy with, and I mean that in the in the PG in the sense, human way. In the human way, <laughs> other than his own sister. So for him, that would be huge, you know, just this amazingly important thing in his life that he probably doesn't know how to deal with. And somebody who shares what drives a lot of his actions, which is this sense of duty and honor and being misunderstood. And I mean, they had, you know, they had good times on the road. They did. It was fun. <laughs> oh, remember that time we killed those guys? That was great. Yeah, I, I have always really enjoyed their relationship, but never actually wanted them to consummate it in a physical way. Yeah, I don't think they do either. Yeah. Certainly, I mean, I think Brienne feels a great fondness for Jamie, but I don't think... I don't. I don't think she. I don't think either she or he are wired that way. No, I think it's better that like friends. They're just friends. They're it's just good. friends. Heart eyes. Yeah. Past the <laughs> it's, a, it's a good friend zone to be in, is what we're saying. 
So we also got a really great email from someone named Mike, and he says, is there any situation too serious to be answered with a Game of Thrones stock phrase? And he has some really good examples. House Republicans are going to drive us off a fiscal cliff. Words are wind. Climate change threatens us all. It is known. Chris Christie announces for the presidency. The night is dark and full of terrors. And then my favorite one, obviously. There's a 40% off winter sale at JCPenney's. Winter is coming. It is. It, yes. I, it's good. Lord knows I've been living my life this way. <laughs> so why not apply to large, large you know, it's like, you know, it is known. It is known. Uh, it is known. <laughs> so say we all. That's so say we. That, I like that's that that more Battlestar Galactica. And it is Battlestar Galactica, but, you know, it's but one it of my is favorites. True. And, and it's good from a lot of stuff. It, it, and, and, of course, you know, all, every house has its words, which is somewhat silly, but still kind of fun. Hear me roar. We do not sow. You, you could basically, there, there is a famous episode of The Wire in which an entire scene is played yes. out with just the word fuck said in different ways as, they, <laughs> as Bunk and McNulty investigate a murder. And you could probably do a similar scene just by using these stock phrases. You know, winter is coming. It is known. <laughs> you know nothing. And... <laughs> I do definitely say you know nothing, Jon Snow, at people a lot. I, I said it. I got to say it to George R. Martin. I said, you know nothing, George R. R. Martin. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that reminds me, too. We got an email that I was hoping we could discuss for... You might remember the specifics a little better than I do, Tricia, but it was someone who says that he likes to refer to George R. R. Martin as George Double R. Martin. Do you remember this George one? Two R's Martin. George Two, two R's, R's Martin. In reference to the Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of Monty Python, <laughs> the scene we have... We go up in the tavern, right, where Brienne is sort of outside Winterfell, mm. and the guy comes in in the cap. I so much wanted that to be a guy from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> Which he said, hey, you. And he's like, yes. Because <laughs> he's got the same little cap. I was like, oh. Yep, yep. I thought that would have been hilarious. Oh, we Terry, if it was specifically, guy. If it was hat. Terry Gilliam from Monty Python <laughs> and the Holy Grail, who was like, I forget who he played. And he's like, hello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> been... I think that you will need to uh, probably reenact that for us so that we can make it a gif for the Tumblr. Yes. Yep. That <laughs> Did you know they're Monty Python fans? Did you know that about the scene in front of Marine? I think it was last season, where you know the one horseman comes out, yeah, and and, uh, and Daenerys's uh, mercenary friend kills him. Well, when he's shouting in Marinese or whatever it is, this is literally true. What he is shouting is their translation into their made-up language, but it really is a translation of the things that the French knight shouts <laughs> about the in Monty Python and, and the Holy Grail. No, it's like, I fart in... What he's yelling is... I fart in your yeah. general I direction. I fart in your general direction, so you smell good. of elderberries. And that is a true Monty Python, Game of Thrones tie-in. Oh, my so God. So I bet they costumed that guy to look like Terry Gilliam in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. So that is a good... <laughs> That is a good prompt because I bet there are other Easter eggs like that in the show. So if you're a fan of Game of Thrones and Monty Python and you can find some more of those for us, send them to us. You can get those to us by leaving us a message on our Tumblr. That's nerdatpodcast.com and then click on the part that says Nerd at Recaps. Or you can call us and leave a voicemail. That's 312-948-4687. Oh, I have a specific question. Maybe mm -hmm. somebody can help me. Maybe you guys can help me out. During the scene in which Jon Snow is telling the brothers, the Night's Watch, of his plans, and they're objecting, and they're yelling, they cut to Stannis watching, and he says something. He mutters a word. He mutters a word, and Davos says, what? And he says, nothing. And I thought he said Theon. And what oh. I was thinking was, well, the, oh, yeah, he's like comparing it to Theon trying to take control of Winterfell and not succeeding. But mm. what would Stannis know about that? 
or what, Stannis never would have seen that or known anything about that. So what did Stannis say? If you guys know, if you heard it, and you're sure about it, or you're just a good guess, write in and let us know. Is this when I should admit that sometimes I watch things with closed caption just for fun? <laughs> Do you know what he said? I didn't watch this on closed oh. caption this morning. But this is a good way to find this out. So when you do, tweet at us, at Nerdette Podcast on Twitter, and make sure that you let at Peter Sagel know as well. Please, please. Very important. The show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault, Colleen Pellissier, and Brad Helm. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. You can find links to all of the things, including the sign-up thingy for our weekly email newsletter thingy at nerdettepodcast.com. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us, because you already are, but we'd appreciate it if you took the plunge and subscribed on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. We share links to things we like on Facebook, which you can see if you like us there. And we're on Twitter at Nerdette Podcast, and would very much like to discuss all of the things. Chicago Public Media creates award-winning content about the issues that affect nerds like you. More information is available at chicagopublicmedia.org. Throw us some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous, like the excellent S.A. Granville did on Stitcher. All right. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.